podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Friday and the weekend is here, which means more Premier League games. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with a presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. Normally on a Friday, as you know, we do preview and prediction with Guy, but this week I did Tadiwa's A Tad Predictable podcast, so rather than doubling up and repeating what I said on there, uh, today I'm just going to have a look at the games from last night, whatever news is floating around, and we'll do some transfer gossip because that's always fun. Um, First up last night then, we did have Burnley travelling down to play Aston Villa and coming away with a nil-nil draw and a very hard-earned point. I have to say, for a nil-nil draw, this was a good game of football. I thought both teams showed plenty of attacking intent. Villa had a ton of opportunities. Uh, 27 shots, 7 on target. Hit the woodwork, I think, four times. Maybe three, but I think four times in total. One of them was an amazing Nick Pope save from an Anwar El-Ghazi free kick. Courtney House missed an absolute sitter. A great opportunity with a header from about five yards out and clanked it off the crossbar. Uh, Villa were definitely the better team, played on the front foot, but you could tell that the changes in their lineup hurt them a little bit. They changed shape for starters. They went to a 4-2-3-1 with Grealish as a 10, two wingers and Ollie Watkins up front. McGinn and Nakamba in midfield without Douglas Louise, and they do miss Douglas Louise when he's not there. That element of control he gives them, that he's a really clever passer of the ball. He's a very, very good player, and I do think he's destined for for big things. But they missed him. They missed Maddie Cash at right back. Al Mohamedy's a good player, but he's just not at the same level as Cash. And they miss Ezri Kahn's at the back because he allows them to play that little bit higher and be a little bit more aggressive. Now, they were plenty aggressive in their build-up play. Uh, a lot of work through the wide areas. Burton, Traore and Al-Ghazi, I thought both had decent games. Uh, Traore missed one or two half-decent chances. All things considered, though, Burnley will be the happier with the result. Um, they created some decent chances of their own and, and forced a couple of decent saves from Emmy Martinez. It's a really good point for Burnley. It really, really is. You can't emphasize that enough. I mean, they're obviously still down the bottom of the table, but lifts them to 17th, playing a team that is, fair enough, only 11th, but they've been one of the better teams, I think, in the Premier League this season. And if they do win those games in hand, they could launch themselves right back up into the top four. Even if they just beat Newcastle in one of the games in hand, they'll go to eighth, uh, just behind Chelsea on goal difference. So if they're in that kind of mix, it does represent how they've been this season. Villa are a good team with good players. They are missing Barkley. There can be no doubt about that. A lot more of the creative weight is falling on Grealish. And I I do think we've seen a drop-off in Grealish's performances since Barkley went out of the team. I think having Barkley there relieved a lot of the pressure not just the 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 burden of expectation but how many defenders he was having to deal with now teams are are happy to double up on on Grealish and limit the space and limit how much impact he has when Barkley was there with his creative passing and more importantly his ability to pick up the ball and drive forward with it teams had to take a lot lot of care with dealing with Barkley and Grealish was operating in more space I think we've seen Watkins have a little bit of a dip as well without Barkley there. So they'll get Barkley back soon. He could make the weekend, but in all likelihood, it'll be the game just after Christmas Day. So once they get him back, I expect to see an uptick with Villa again. Very, very good team. I think they might do little bits in the January transfer window, um, but they've got a strong foundation to build from there. And they don't need a whole lot. That's the key thing for them. They don't need a whole lot. They're in, in good shape. Burnley will need to act in the in the transfer window, I think. Uh, I think you could see... Now, it, it all depends on money, of course, but I think you could see them add maybe one in defence 
and maybe another wide option, I, even if they could find a loan. Someone like Jack Clark at Spurs is surely available on loan. He, he's played maybe once or twice in the Europa League, hasn't had a minute in the Premier League. He wouldn't be a starter for Burnley, but he could give them a different option, a different outlet, a good pace, a good pacey option from the bench. And having him and McNeil as out-and-out old-style wingers could be beneficial when you play the way they play and when you've got a Chris Wood up front. Uh, another body at centre-back is definitely needed, even if it's someone young that they're going to develop. Matty Pollock at Grimsby, maybe. A lot of ter- uh, turmoil at Grimsby at the moment. The club is in the process of being sold and... Uh, Ian Holloway's had to come out on social media and sort of read the riot act a little bit to the owners and the potential future owners about what's going on and the harm being caused to the club. Obviously, tough times for clubs like Grimsby with no fans or, you know, a a minimal amount of fans in the stands, not getting that matchday income, obviously don't get big TV income um, in, in the lower leagues either. So maybe Matty Pollock is available at a decent price and he's, the type of centre-back that Sean Dyche does really well with developing. Um, 17th in the league, but only a point behind Brighton with that game in hand. If they could grind out a draw against United, which isn't outside the realms of possibility, you know, it would put them on equal footing with Brighton. They'd just be behind on goal difference. And again, you'd fancy Sean Dyche to move them up the league a fair bit. Um, as I look, as I look at the league table, I do look at Brighton and I have concerns and obviously, they're one of the teams I was very high on at the start of the season. I think them, West Ham and Sheffield United are the three teams I got most wrong going into the season. Um, but Arsenal just sitting above there and you do have to have concerns about, about the Gunners. Given the lack of form, the lack of discipline, the behind-the-scenes chaos that there is, the lack of leadership at the top, the lack of competency within middle management... And then, you know, the the results and the performances on the field. There is an article on the BBC website today um, stating that Arsenal have no doubts about Arteta. And look, they recruited him twice. They bought into what he sold them in his interview. So you'd have to imagine they are sort of tied to him. But as with all things, there may come a breaking point where they just have to say, look, this, this isn't working. And we have to make a change because for Arsenal, it's just unacceptable to be in that position. They're Arsenal Football Club. They're one of the great clubs in world football. They're one of the true giants of English football. They belong at the top half. And I know, you know, no club has a preordained right to be at the top level and, you know, chasing the title and whatever else. But, you know, United, Liverpool and Arsenal are the three that, when they're anywhere outside of the the title mix or, you know, the European place is challenging, you do feel like the league is, is something, there's something wrong with the league. Do you know, like United have been poor over the last couple of years. Not, I'm a firm believer that the league is better when United are strong. I obviously don't want them to win anything personally, but I, I do believe the league is better when they're strong. I believe the league is better when Liverpool are strong, and I believe the league is better when Arsenal were strong. When Arsenal were great under under Wenger, I mean that was kind of the glory era of the Premier League. Um, strong Arsenal team, obviously very strong United team, very strong Chelsea team under uh, Ranieri and then Mourinho, and obviously Liverpool had a couple of really good teams in that period as well uh, under uh, Gerard Houllier and then Rafa Benitez. And I think the league was better for it. And when you get this kind of new iteration of Spurs, what they've been since Pochettino came in and now under Jose, and obviously City with with what they've become, I I do think it matters to the league when those teams are good. And I I love the stories of of a Leicester, you know, breaking down the door. I, I love seeing Southampton in the top four. I'm very keen to see Aston Villa re-establish themselves as one of the top clubs. I, I love what, what's going on at Wolves and how they've built over the couple of years. And, and I think the more of this we get and getting those top clubs back to, to strength as well, it will just give us a better product on the pitch and it will sell the Premier League better across the globe. And the more they can sell the Premier League, the more money that comes into the league, the more money that's in the league, 
the better players we have in the league. And again, the better players, the better the product. So it is just that circle. Um, moving on then, United United battle. Uh, Sheffield United versus Manchester United. Uh, Sheffield United go 1-0 up. And uh, Manchester United again just caught cold early on. Dean Henderson gets caught with the ball sort of under his feet and it gets charged down and, and David McGoldrick takes advantage and, and taps in. I've seen no criticism of Harry Maguire for this, but I really believe there should be. He played the ball to a goalkeeper under pressure. Like, that's a risky pass when there's somebody within 10 yards of your goalkeeper. Um, he could have played it across the box to Lindelof, who wasn't under pressure. He could have just turned and cleared it with his left foot. But he put Henderson in a bad situation. Henderson didn't deal with it well. And the Blades go 1-0 up. And they could have gone 2-0 up because John Fleck, only a couple of minutes later, misses an absolute sitter. Uh, fails to hit the target from about 14, 15 yards out with most of the goal to aim at. Really bad miss. And one they would go on to regret because 26 minutes in, long ball over the top by Lindelof. United's defence, or Sheffield United's defence, all at sea. Uh, brilliant first touch by Rashford. Strikes it really cleanly, but you have to wonder why Aaron Ramsdale is standing so far off his line. Like, why is he 12 yards off his line? There's just absolutely no need for him to be in the position he's in. Uh, not a good night for Aaron Ramsdale, who would have, you know, fault in both of the uh, next two Manchester United goals. On 33 minutes, Pogba clips a ball. No look pass, beautifully done, lovely weight, lovely bit of spin on the ball, right into Martial's path over the top of the defence. Ramsdale comes out and rather than just try to block the ball, he tries to smother the ball and it squirms underneath and bounces up and Martial taps in to give um, to give Manchester United the lead. And then early in the second half, really, really good counter-attacking move. I mean, this is one of the best counter-attacking moves you'll see all season. Starts with Pogba. Bruno Fernandes is involved, Greenwood is involved, um, Rashford is involved, gets to Martial, who plays it back to Rashford. And again, it's just, it's bad from Aaron Ramsdale. It's it's not the best strike from Rashford. It's really close to the goalkeeper. All Ramsdale needs to do is stick his foot out. He doesn't need to try and save the ball with his, with his arms or his body. He just needs to stick his foot out and he saves it easily. Instead, he tries to dive for it, can't get down quick enough, and the ball squirms underneath them and goes in. And United, at this point, are good value for their lead. Sheffield United were the better team for probably 20 minutes. But when Manchester United kicked into gear, they really did ramp up quite quickly. And they played some really good football, some of the best football they've played this season. It helps when Paul Pogba decides to play. It helps when he turns up. For the first 20 minutes, he was an abomination in this game giving the ball away, didn't look all that bothered, plays that pass for Martial, and then all of a sudden, it just, something clicks in his head, and he, he just a light switch goes on, and he runs the game then for probably 40 minutes, probably 40 solid, solid minutes of Paul Pogba running the game, and playing with confidence, playing with a little bit of arrogance as well, which was nice to see, because I think when Pogba's at his best, he does have that arrogance to his game. Um... Sheffield United fight back. David McGoldrick gets a goal on the 87th minute. And only a, a good save from Dean Henderson stops Lise Mousset from equalising right at the death. And if they could play the way they did for the last, the first 20 and the last 10 across 90 minutes, they'd start getting results. They wouldn't be in the situation they're in. But Chris Wilder is to blame for this, this defeat. He set the team up really well. The starting 11 was good. And it was working really, really well until Sander Berger had to go off. And when Sander Berger went off, rather than just bringing on a midfielder, and he had a couple of good options, uh, like Ben, Osbor ben Osborne and Ollie Norwood, instead, or he could have just dropped McGoldrick into midfield and brought Brewster or Mousset on. He, he had multiple options. Instead, what he decided to do was move Chris Basham from right-side centre-back to the right-side central midfield role and bring on Phil Jagielka, who's 73 years of age. Now, Phil Jagielka, at his best, was a very good Premier League central defender with 
a very small amount of pace. You'd almost say no pace, but there was a little bit there. He could a little burst over about three yards. There was a point late in the 2016-17 season where you could just see the wheels fall off the wagon with him and that little bit of pace he had went completely and he became a glorified statue. And he had a decent season the next year, 17-18. Wasn't a regular starter, but was in and out of the team as they rotated through uh, three different centre-back options. But ha- had some had some good games. Got exposed for his pace a couple of times. Now, the following year, he was finished. He only played seven or eight games in the Premier League. Um, and he just looked done at that point. The closest thing I can remember to it was Stefan Onsho at Liverpool. At one point, was a very, very good defender. And then, like, the very next day, just was unplayable. You couldn't put him in the team because his pace had just disappeared completely. And Jaggy Alka was basically the same thing. That's, you know, three seasons ago. There's no world in which Phil Jaggy Alka should be on a Premier League pitch this year, other than the last day of the season, to say his goodbyes to the fans. That is the only situation... You throw him on for five minutes, preferably up front, and then you let him say his goodbyes. This was a very, very bad move by Chris Wilder. And it's not just that his pace is gone, but because he's barely played over the last couple of years, he's got no no match sharpness, and his decision-making is off. And he made, you know, may just made some bad errors in this game. Couldn't hold the defensive line. Couldn't track runners, couldn't keep up with Marmy Marshall and Rashford. You're talking about not only two of the best attackers in the league, two of the quickest attackers in the league. That decision by Chris Wilder cost his team at least one point and maybe three in this game. They became really easy for United to play through. And like I say, they look good for 20 minutes, but as soon as United start to turn the screw, and pressurize that defense. They just crumbled. I mean, when you've got Jack Robinson in there, who's not a center back, he's a left back who's not the best defender in the world. I mean, he's not, he was at Nottingham Forest and he was, he was decent there. He was decent in the championship. They brought him in and last season he struggled badly. When they brought him into the team, after the lockdown, that's when the results started to go against them. Against them, not all his fault, but as I said before, because they have such a set team. When you take one part out, it affects multiple parts, especially if it's one of the triangles. So the the side centre backs, be it right side centre back, right back, and right side midfield, that triangle, they all rotate positions. And they all know each position so that if they have to drop into, if Sander Berger, for example, or Lundstrom, as it was last season, is required to drop into centre-back in the flow of the game, he can do it. If he's required to go to right wing-back, he can do it. The same if Baldock and Basham are asked to play the other two positions. Same on the left-hand side with the left centre-back, the left-back and the left midfielder. When required, they can all drop in. Robinson isn't comfortable as a left-side midfielder at all. He's not really comfortable as a left-side centre-back in a three, and he doesn't really have the pace to play as a wing-back. So he, he just he becomes a weak link, and again, it's not his fault. It's just that this system requires very specific things. The loss of Jack O'Connell to them has been monumental. Their defence has crumbled. Last season, they were you know pretty decent defensively. They lost Dean Henderson, and a lot has been put on that. And I'll, I'll come to that in a minute. But the loss of O'Connell as well. I genuinely think Jack O'Connell, fully fit, should be in the England squad. And if you're going to play a back three, I think he's the best option you have for a natural fit on the left side of that back three. Losing him is huge. Now, obviously, losing Henderson was massive as well. But the crux of it is they replaced him badly. They spent 20 million on Aaron Ramsdale, who'd had a terrible season with Bournemouth last year. 
who hadn't really shown anything to suggest he was a Premier League caliber goalkeeper. He's having a dreadful season, a truly dreadful season. And you have to wonder, will Chris Wilder now start to consider making a change at the goalkeeper position? Now, he doesn't have great options there. Like, it's not like Sheffield United have, like Manchester United, they don't have a Dean Henderson caliber goalkeeper on the bench to bring in. They don't have a Robin Olsen the way uh, the way Chelsea do. I think in January, maybe they need to look for a loan option to come in. Wes Fotheringham is the, the nominal backup there, and he's a solid goalkeeper, and he was at Palace for years, but never really got a run. But they they loaned him a bunch of times, and you know he he did okay at Swindon. Um, would would go on to Swindon and stay there for a bunch of years, then went to Rangers, and you know all in all was was pretty good. Um, was first choice for a while, and then Alan McGregor came back. And he became the backup and the, he signed for Sheffield United in a free in the summer. And maybe it's time to just at least take Ramsdale out of the firing line. It doesn't have to be a permanent change. But with a bunch of games to come over Christmas, maybe they do need to consider making that change. Just for two to three games, give Ramsdale a break, take him out of the spotlight because right now he is a shell of a goalkeeper. And, you know, when you look at the Villa game and you see Emi Martinez there and he cost around the same kind of money, it do, it does make you think that they could have done a lot better. Um, it's unfortunate. And look, I do think Ramsdale has talent. They obviously knew the kid because he came through the academy. They knew his character. There was no questions there or anything like that. They've got a really, really strong coaching squad there underneath Chris Wilder. Um, and I, I assume they thought that would help them to um, to coach him up, to improve him, the same way they had with Dean Henderson. I mean, Dean Henderson that left Sheffield United is not the same goalkeeper that arrived. He didn't arrive as one of England's best goalkeepers. He arrived as a decent prospect, but that was about it. Um, he wasn't necessarily seen as anyone that could potentially become a future first choice at United, but the work that Darren Ward did with him elevated him and he got better month on month, not just year on year. He was consistently improving. And now United, Manchester United, that is, find themselves in a great position of having David De Gea and Dean Henderson. They can pick either one. When they make a decision as to who's going to be the long-term first choice, they can sell the other one and they'll get a very tidy fee for them. Like if they decide to sell De Gea, you'd imagine there'll be a, a you know a queue of clubs that line up. He hasn't been particularly good the last two and a half years. Not anywhere close to the level he was at when he was, you know, Superman, and he was carrying that United team. But he's still a very good goalkeeper, and maybe he just needs a change change of scenery. Um, there there will be a lot of clubs that will want him because he's a proven commodity. Henderson likewise will have multiple suitors you could imagine that if he is for sale and United are just looking for a specific fee and not that concerned about where he goes Chelsea could be interested Chelsea could do with with a goalkeeper like Dean Henderson I know they have Mendy and I know Mendy's had a decent start in the Premier League but I do think there's a ceiling on Mendy I think Henderson is, is I think he's a better goalkeeper now I think he's got more potential Spurs They'll be looking for a long-term replacement for Hugo Lloris. Dean Henderson would very much fit there. Um, both of those clubs could also look at Nick Pope. So, you know, it, it, maybe one of them goes to one and the other goes to the other. I, I don't know. But United and Spurs have done a decent amount of business over the years, normally in the other direction where United just cherry-pick Spurs uh, players and or, or at, at least try to. They did get Berbatov. They did get Carrick. They obviously tried for... A number of years to sign Ledley King. They tried to sign Luka Modric. They tried to sign Bale. Um, United always have a, a, an eye cast across Spurs and to see what they have. But maybe Spurs will turn things around. Whether whether United will deal with Jose's club, I don't know. But it is what it is. Um, all things considered, a more promising performance for Sheffield United than a lot of what we've seen recently. But another defeat, one point from a potential 39 
one draw from 13 games, seven goals scored. Is it seven goals scored now? I think it is seven goals, uh, which isn't isn't good enough at all. I mean, that's, you know, and McGoldrick has three of them. So, like, you've got four goals among the rest of the squad in the league. It's just completely unacceptable. Those players need to have a long, long look at themselves. And, you know, I, I do wonder at what point do the board and the ownership start to maybe maybe have a think about Chris Wilder. I don't think they should move away from him. I, I think he's a really, really good manager. I think the work he's done there has been incredible. But, you know, an investment of over 60 million in the summer for a club like Sheffield United in, you know, the COVID world was massive. And, and the players just haven't worked out. And they haven't worked yet. I do think long-term, most of them will. I think Rian Brewster will be a star there. I really, really like Jaden Bogle, but he hasn't gotten a look in. Brewster can't get in, in the team. Max Lowe, I'm not as high on as Bogle, but I do think there's a, he's a very talented player. Uh, he's not a starter. They obviously brought in Ampadu on loan, and he's played a bit, but not enough. He should be in the team every single game. The only games he shouldn't play are Chelsea because he can't. He should be in the team every single game. And then Ramsdale, you know, who just it, it's been a disaster so far. There was also that, you know, weird Callum Robinson and Cash for um, Ollie Burke deal that hasn't worked either. I mean, you know, it, that was a gamble and everybody knew it was a gamble at the time. It, Chris Wilder's gambling on himself and, and the development staff there to be able to coach him up. If they go down, which looks quite likely at the moment, um, I think they'll be among the favourites to come back up because other than Sander Berger, I don't see anybody in that squad that's going to attract much interest and certainly won't attract big money bids that will tempt them. They might have to sell one or two just to balance the books, but they'll get a parachute payment, so they should be okay. And like I said, it'd be a really strong championship team. And, and maybe by then... Bogle, Brewster and Lowe are all starters. Maybe Chelsea would let them keep Ampadu for another year to help them come back up. And then they can add one or two more pieces and, you know, replace Berger with, with whoever. Um, so I think long-term they are probably better off just standing standing with Chris Wilder. But I do wonder if, if there's a breaking point. Like if they lose their next four, say, which is possible because it's a difficult run. They've got Brighton. And let me get this up. They've got Brighton next. Um, then they've got Everton, then Burnley, then Crystal Palace. Those are all difficult games. Brighton away, Burnley away, Palace away. Everton's the only home game there. It's, it's a real possibility they get to one point from a potential 52. And... It's it's surely the embarrassment factor of that that might prompt a change. I hope they don't. I hope they stick with Wilder, but I mean, it doesn't get much easier. Yeah, you know, they, they have Newcastle at home, and on January twelfth, mark it in. That might be their first win of the season. But then they've got Spurs. They go to United. They they go to City. They've got West Brom, who they're scrapping against at the bottom. They've got Chelsea. They've got West Ham, Fulham, who they're stra- scrapping against as well. And then Liverpool. And that takes them through to the end of February. And I mean, there's not a lot of winnable games there. There's not a lot of games that you're looking at and going, oh, they'll win that one. They could win that one. There's maybe... They could win against Brighton. There's no question. It depends on what Everton team turns up. But Everton have looked good. And, and, you know, I I did predict them to finish fourth. So I do have a little bit of a vested interest there. But Everton have looked good in the last two games. You wouldn't fancy them to beat Burnley or Palace away. Draws, maybe. Absolutely potential for draws. Newcastle at home is a game that they should be winning. Even though Newcastle have obviously done much better than this season, that's still a game they should be targeting to win. And other than that, like West Brom at home, there's the game they should win. And Fulham away is a game they could maybe target for a point, but they could get a win because Fulham can be inconsistent and obviously have been fairly poor this season. So... There's a handful of games there, but I mean, 
that would take them to 26 games played. And what would they have? 14, 15 points? I mean, it would relieve the potential embarrassment of being the worst team in Premier League history. But it's still not going to be enough to keep you up, keep you safe. So I do think it's particularly bad for them at the moment. I, I do think they look a little bit doomed. Um, and it's a shame because they were so much fun last year. I love when teams come up and are just completely fearless. It's one of the reasons I love Leeds this year. And they were so unique as well. And I think, unfortunately, teams just started to figure them out a little bit. And, and Wilder hasn't really adapted all that well. And maybe that's on him. And maybe that's something, again, that the ownership might look to and you know wonder, can he adapt? Can he evolve? Um, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. I think there's other managers, though, in, in much graver uh job security positions than him um, and Scott Parker being the main one, I think. Um, right. We'll wrap up with some, um, oh no, there's a couple of bits of news I want to just quickly go over. Uh, first things first, uh, congratulations to Kai Rooney, Wayne Rooney's son, who was signed for Manchester United his first contract. He's 11 years of age. I, I did find it a little bit of a strange one, given Rooney is the caretaker manager of Derby. Derby have one of the very best academies in the country. And you'd imagine the pathway there would be easier than the pathway at United, who, I mean, just purely from a numbers point of view, there's probably five times more kids in the United Academy than there is in the Derby Academy. Now, if he's special, he's special, and and it won't make a difference. He will make it, but you'd imagine he would have had an easier pathway at Derby and with his dad being there, you know, he could have at least kept more of an eye on him. Uh, I know they live in, in the Manchester area. So there's, there's that as well. And you you question why, why the Rooney's haven't moved to Derby. If, if Wayne is serious about becoming manager there, but maybe he doesn't have long-term plans to be there. Maybe he sees it the way Frank Lampard saw it. Um, Players have overwhelmingly shown support for continuing to take a knee, uh, says the PFA. I think this is really good. I think it's really important. I think this movement is important. I think people need to park the political side of what they may think uh, Black Lives Matter means. But we absolutely need to have this continue. We absolutely need to have this continue. I really liked last season when they put it on the shirts. I wish there was a way to keep that on the shirts. Maybe a patch below the number. I, I don't know how you could do it, but I, you know, I, I, I do think this is a one of the more important moves, one of the more, more important movements, I should say, in our lifetime. Um, I, I, and I don't think that's overstating it. Uh, the FIFA Football Awards were last night, and Robert Lewandowski was crowned Best men's player. Congratulations to him. Absolutely well-deserved. 55 goals in 47 games last season. Won the treble. Was unbelievable all season. Top scorer in the League Cup and Champions League. There can be no denying uh, his greatness last year and his greatness in general. Lionel Messi second. And Cristiano Ronaldo third, which was just weird because he didn't have anywhere close to uh, the third best season among among players in Europe there was a bunch of who were better uh, Joshua Kimmich Thiago Alcantara Serge Gnabry and that's just to name Bayern Munich players who were better than him um, I think you could debate whether Messi should be there or not but it, you know, it's Messi so we let him away Lucy Bronze uh, won the women's best player award so yeah I think that's a well deserved tremendous footballer um, Jurgen Klopp won the best coach for the second year in a row Obviously, I think the fact that it was Liverpool's first title in so long plays a big factor, but I do sort of think Hansi Flick, given you know he, he took over mid-season and then led them to a treble, I do think Hansi Flick should have got the award. Um, Manuel Nauer was named as the best goalkeeper, but then strangely, Alison Becker was named as the goalkeeper in the FIFA Pro team, now that's voted for by the players, and it just it shows the um, the regard in which Alison Becker 
is held. Jan O'Black and Becker were second and third in the voting for the best goalkeeper. Uh, Hyun Min Sun won the Puskas Award for the best goal scored. That goal against Burnley, where he basically ran the length of the field. Um, tremendous goal. There's a little bit of controversy over it because I think a few people are saying there were better goals, but I mean it's it it's so subjective. It's just totally subjective. I mean, everybody has different ideas of what a great goal is. I think that's a great goal. I I have no argument with it. And uh, then that that uh, FIFA Fifth Pro Men's Team of the Year, Alison Becker in goal, Trent Alexander Arnold at right back, comically Sergio Ramos included at centre back. Uh, Virgil van Dijk next to him, Alfonso Davies of Bayern Munich at left back, the, without question, the breakthrough star of last season. And what a tremendous story that is. He, you know, comes from Vancouver Whitecaps as a winger, gets put fullback because they needed him there and decides to just take over the world. Uh, what a talent. Kevin De Bruyne, Thiago Alcantara and Joshua Kimmich as the three midfielders and Messi, Lewandowski, and Cristiano Ronaldo as the front three. Uh, four Liverpool players, admittedly only three of them were Liverpool players last year, but five from the Premier League in total. Uh, it's a good sign for the Premier League, and um, I think all things considered, it's hard to argue that that is the team. Marcus Rashford was also recognised at the ceremony with an award for his work in trying to end child poverty. There is a really good interview i think it's on bbc i think it's on the bbc iplayer uh with rashford and his mum talking about what it was like for him growing up and his mother's an amazing woman and i you know look I, i'm my mother's an amazing woman and if you know i think when when you grow up you do sort of look back at the sacrifices your parents made and i look at the ones my parents made for me, and I, I'll never be able to thank them enough. Marcus Rashford's mother made incredible sacrifices for him, uh, him and his, his siblings, often going without food herself just to be able to provide food for them. Uh, she's an incredible woman, and she's raised an outstanding young man, an outstanding human being is what Marcus Rashford is. Take the football away from it. He is an outstanding human being and deserves every award and accolade that comes his way. Uh, I don't think there's any way anybody could have anything but good to say about Marcus Rashford. And if they do, it's tribalistic nonsense. Nothing more. We'll wrap up with some gossip. Uh, I've got two days worth of gossip to get through, so we'll run through this. Uh, Juventus have opened talks with Paul Pogba's agent as they look to re-sign the 27-year-old Manchester United midfielder. Given he's got 18 months left on his contract, if that's true, United need to be making a phone call to UEFA. Um, Chelsea and England defender Tamore, who has been linked with Leeds, is set to join Stad Ren on loan until the end of the season. I, I mean, I'd, I'd be keeping him around if I was Chelsea because, you know, you've got an error-prone centre-back one side and a 40-year-old centre-back. He's 36, I know, but it's funnier to say 40. Uh, the other side, who... I, I wouldn't send him out on loan. If you are going to go on loan, though, that that's a, a really, really good club to join. They're really good at developing players. They've got a very exciting young team there. Uh, obviously, Kamavinga is the, the big star, but they do also have Jeremy Doku, who's just a, an incredible, incredible talent. Um, they have a Rugani in on loan. So, you know, there's a potential there for a really nice young, well, Rugani's probably He's probably 25 or 26 now, isn't he? He's 26. How is he 26? How is he 26? He's he's been a youngster forever. Um, Ren would be it would be a good move for him. I've gotten off topic. It would be a good move for him. Uh, the spoofer with the catchphrase claims that Declan Rice wants to move to Chelsea in January. There's no evidence to back this up. I, I don't believe it to be true. I I believe he may want to go to Chelsea someday. I don't think he wants to go in January, and I don't think he wants to go anytime soon. I think he's quite happy at West Ham. Why wouldn't he be? Why wouldn't he be quite happy at West Ham? They're one point behind Chelsea in the league. They've been just as good. And they've actually gotten results against good teams, unlike Chelsea. They've had a much harder run, 
they've had a much harder run of games than Chelsea, and they're only one point behind them. Um, Liverpool are monitoring Lille's 23-year-old Portuguese midfielder Renato Sanchez uh, as a potential replacement for Ginny Wijnaldum. However, they are keen to get Wijnaldum to sign a new contract, but are unwilling to agree to his request for a four-year contract. Well, first things first, they should absolutely give him that four-year contract. They gave James Milner a two-year contract at 34. Ginny Wijnaldum is better than Milner's ever been. He's more important to the Liverpool team than Milner has ever been. And he's absolutely deserving. He has been tremendous this year, last year, the year before. Since the day he arrived, he has been brilliantly consistent, always available, turns up in the biggest of games. When, when others go and hide and yet get the accolades, he's the guy who turns up in the biggest games. So I don't know why you wouldn't give him the four-year contract. It just seems like pedantic nonsense. Uh, Renato Sanchez is a player I do like. I don't know if he's a perfect fit for Liverpool. He doesn't have a tremendous amount of experience of playing in a midfield three. But we have heard, or we have seen uh, evidence that maybe Jurgen Klopp wants to move back to a midfield two, which was obviously his go-to at at Borussia Dortmund and when he first arrived at Liverpool. And Sanchez is great in the midfield too. He had a tremendous season last year with Lille. He's been good this season as well and they're top of the league. They do have financial trouble, so maybe they'll... Uh, they'll be open to a sale for less than what they'd value him at. So I wouldn't be against the move if he ha- if he landed. He, I'd be delighted actually, but um, I- I'd rather keep Wijnaldum. I'd rather have both. I mean, I- I'd always rather have both because I- I'm greedy like that. Uh, Manchester United will wait until January to decide whether to let Brandon Williams leave on loan. Uh, Newcastle and Southampton have been linked. Uh, Brighton and Hove Albion should be on the phone tomorrow, begging begging to get him on loan. Um, he is a very, very good young player. He can play both sides. So you can play him left back and keep Lamptey at right wing back in the games Lamptey needs to sit out. You play Williams right wing back and then you bring Sully March into the team. Um, he would be a great fit there. And he's a quality young player. Uh, Chelsea are confident they can hang on to Olivier Giroud in January and that he will play enough to keep his place in the France squad for next summer's Euros. Um... He's been really good for them for the last 18 months. And it's it's a shame that him and Tammy don't really work together because they they both deserve to be starting. Um, Giroud is just, he's so underrated. I mean, I struggle to name a player who's been as, as underrated as him over his tenure in the Premier League. I think he's a fantastic all-round player. Doesn't score as many as maybe you'd want your number nine to, but he facilitates for everybody else. And I'm sure there'll be a string of clubs lining up to uh, to sign him. Manchester United are still in the market for a winger, a centre-back, a right-back, and a defensive midfielder. But the expectation is there will be no signings in January. So taking the January thing first, that says to me they're not married to Ollie long-term and they're waiting to see how he to invest any more money in him until he secures another top four finish. Um, Centre-back and defensive midfielder were by far their two biggest needs in the summer. They ignored them all summer and focused on Sancho, who they were never going to buy. Uh, They need a right-back. That's a little bit strange. They spent £50 million on a right-back only 18 months ago. They had a really good young right-back as well that they loaned out to AC Milan, who's Doing quite well there. I, I really just think they make it up as they go along. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain and Brazil forward Neymar has dispelled rumours of a return to Barca, insisting he is happy in the French capital. He created the rumours. He sent text messages to people at Barcelona asking if there was a way back to the club for him. He's happy at PSG if they give him big, big sacks of cash. That is the only reason... He is happy to be there because it's a great life. He's not asked to play much. He plays 20, 25 games in the league. Doesn't turn up in the Champions League after the knockout stages because he's normally injured. Nobody questions him. He's allowed to do what he wants. Um, yeah, and now he's got a he's got a bust ankle, so you know he's out for a while anyway. Arsenal could make a move for Porto's 20-year-old Portuguese midfielder, Fabio Vieira and are willing to pay his £27 million release clause. 
I have to admit, I don't know a whole bunch about him. Um, I, I'm assuming he's a, a creative midfielder because that's what they, you know, seem to be keen on. Um, but it's just it's it's more of this weirdness where they seem to be going for a youth movement, yet at the same time they're also you know they they give. William that contract and they sign Aubameyang to the long-term deal and they bring in Thomas Partey who's like 27 and they seem to be caught between two modes of thinking um weirdly enough Fabio Vieira is not a Jorge Mendes client he's represented by something called MC Striker whose other clients are they're lads that you'd never heard of. Um, and they're players with, with very low value. So I would guess that as part of any deal um, for him to leave Porto, he probably will become a Jorge Mendes client. But um, I, th- I think Mendes must have some sort of, you know, he must have some sort of interest in every player in Portugal at the moment because every time you look at somebody who's linked would have moved to England. You look at their agent. Oh, it's it's Jorge Mendes. Um, I, like I said, I, I don't know enough about the kid to talk about him a whole lot, but I assume he's a creative midfielder. Manchester United have revived their interest in 26-year-old Atletico Madrid and Spain midfielder Saul. I have revived my interest in becoming manager of Arsenal if Arteta gets fired. Uh, that's the same thing. That's absolutely the same thing. Um, Arsenal boss Mikel Arteta has asked club officials to sign Isco and Hossim Auer in January. Yeah, I mean, I once asked Santi for a Ferrari. Again, it's the same thing. You're not getting both of them and you don't want Isco. Trust me, you do not want Isco. Especially if you're going to play him in centre midfield in the Premier League. Uh, Manchester United, are, or sorry, Manchester City are prepared to allow talented 18-year-old winger Jaden Braff to leave. I mean, I guess they're hoping that he's another Rabi Matondo rather than another Jaden Sancho. A good prospect, not a potentially world-class player. Because this makes no sense. I mean, he is he's super talented. And he's, like, they're crying out for good wide players at the moment. Why not give him a chance? I mean, I know he's not a perfect fit for what they need, but I don't understand why they keep stockpiling all these young players if they're never, ever going to give them an opportunity. I would would give him a chance. I I just don't see why you'd give up on him and, and let him leave this early. Um... David Moyes is keen to bolster his squad in January, but has warned supporters not to expect big signings. I mean, Golden Sullivan, you'd never expect anything. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer says he will find it difficult to keep his players fully fit during a hectic schedule over Christmas and New Year. I mean, don't play cry mouth. Don't, don't cry poor mouth. You've got massive squad there. Spent a billion on it. it, it no, not having it. Um, Aston Villa boss Dean Smith says Brazil midfielder Douglas Luiz and English defender Ezri Kanza have big futures at the club. I totally agree. And then they also have big futures at the bigger clubs that they're going to end up at. That's... I'd love to say that I can see them been at Villa for eight, nine years, but I just can't. Those two will get snapped up eventually. They are so good. And they're young, and they're only going to get better. City have that buyback on Douglas Louise. They had a 25 million option the summer just gone. They have a 30 million option next summer. Now, if they don't pay that, I genuinely think Villa could turn around and sell him for 60 million the following summer. I, I think he's massively talented. And Konza, for me, is... Uh, he should be starting for England right now. He's the best English centre-back right now based on current form this season. He is really, really good. And 
I'd love them to be foundation pieces of Villa building a, you know, a top four challenging team. I really would. They have the owners to do it. Whether there'll be enough investment, I don't know. But they do have mega rich owners there. And, you know, one owner in particular who's already proven himself in the sporting world to be very aggressive and very much, in you know, eyes focused on winning. Uh, just look at what he's done with the Milwaukee Bucks. Look at the, the contract they just give uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Antetokounmpo, I can't say his surname. Giannis. They gave Giannis a $240 million five-year extension on top of the year he had left at $25 million or whatever. It, it madness. Me- mega money. You couldn't even dream of it. Phone numbers to pay in these players. But he is he's sensational. He really is sensational and worth all that money in the basketball sphere. Um, at club level, football club level, I think Douglas Louise and Ezri Konza are definitely worth big contracts and they're definitely players Villa should try to keep. But it's hard to see a situation where they don't end up moving on for, for big, big money. Um, so that wraps Thursday. We'll run through Friday then. Uh, Manchester United could make a bid for West Ham's Declan Rice, although he's taught to prefer Chelsea should he leave the Hammers. Um, he's exactly what United need. He is exactly what United need um, and would, would make a, a very good signing for them. Uh, Wolves are monitoring Liverpool and Belgium for Divock Origi, who could be allowed to leave the club in January. He will be allowed to leave the club as long as someone pays the money. Um, I don't think he's a particularly good fit at Wolves. He's not a traditional number nine. He has the physique and the build of it, but he he was developed more as a wide player. He, he's become one of those tweeners, very much like Danny Welbeck, who's got the build of a number nine and some of the characteristics and attributes of a number nine. But because he played, played wide so often in his career and doesn't have the technical ability to play wide, gets caught kind of in the middle and doesn't really know what he is. I think he'd be a good fit next to Jimenez. I don't think he'd be a good replacement for Jimenez while Jimenez is out. They also have Fabio Silva to consider. Um, And he's not going to get starting games and wide roles for them because they've got Adama, they've got Neto, they've got Pedence. Vitania can play there. Aitnuri can play there. I don't think Divock makes sense. But look, if you're willing to give Liverpool £20 for him, I'll drive him to Wolverhampton. Uh, Manchester United are working on an exit for Marcus Rojo. How is he still at the club? How are you still paying this man money? It's an abomination. How are you giving this man money to be at your club? He was never any good. He's he's barely played in two years. He was on loan for for a while and and they didn't want him. Uh, Newcastle apparently are keen keen on him. And, you know, no, just just say no, Steve. Um, New West Brom manager Sam Allardyce has prioritised bolstering his side's defensive options, which I've been calling for for months. And he has identified James Tompkins as a potential signing. I do quite like that fit. I think Tompkins is low-key underrated and um, would make sense. Now, the only issue with him is he is a little bit injury-prone, but that's the type of clever signing that would make sense. West West Brom will spend in, the, in January because Big Sam would not have taken that job without a guarantee that there's going to be money to invest. So keep an eye on them for January. Uh, Liverpool have added Roma centre-back Roger Ibanez, Ibanez to their list of defensive targets to cover injured Netherlands defender Virgil van Dijk. I do like him. I do like Roger, Roger Ibanez. I'm a big fan of how they've recruited at centre-back in general. Um. He's another one that Atalanta plucked from, you know, from nowhere. They brought him in from, from Fluminense in Brazil and uh, didn't actually play for them. They just shipped him pretty much straight away um, to to Roma. He's he's very, very good. Very, very good. I think he's going to end up being a regular for Brazil, at least a squad regular. Whether he's a regular starter or not, I don't know. But they also have Marash Kambula. They have Gianluca Mancini. I do like, and obviously Chris Smalling and, and Juan Jesus are there as well, but I, I do like him. I, I think he'd make an interesting signing. Whether he fits the profile of a Liverpool centre-back or not, I don't really know. Um, he is 6'2". He is good in the air. I, I'd have to look into his statistics to see whether he's dominant enough for what Jurgen Klopp normally asks, asks of a centre-back. 
But um, at twenty two, that would that would be a deal I'd I'd be in favour of. Um, Barcelona presidential candidate Victor Font says you will not be re- repeating the mistakes of previous candidates uh, by making bold transfer promises with links to Erling Haaland. That's the rumour that's been going around. But he will try and convince Lionel Messi to stay. Uh, it makes sense. They've shot themselves in the foot so many times. They're among the worst run clubs in, in the game. It's it's hilarious how badly run Barca are. Like the financial mess they've gotten themselves into. The fact that like they make a million pound gross every year and make like sorry sorry they make a billion pound gross every year and then afterwards it's like that's their turnover and then the profits about two million and they're nine hundred ninety nine million in debt which is just how do you get yourself into that situation like how does a club that size with that type of income find their way into that type of mess. Well, one reason is you give Lionel Messi a hundred million a year contract. And the thing is to keep him, you're probably going to have to give him a three or four year deal. And he's probably going to want a pay rise. And I know he's the, the best player of the generation and all the rest, but do you really want to pay in a 36 or 37 year old Lionel Messi, 150 million a year? Will you feel good transferring three million a week to him? I don't think you will. I really don't think you will. And it, it might just be best for everybody just to have a clean break and just say, you know, thanks and goodbye. And and let's just rebuild with all these, you know, young players we have. Let's go back to being what we're meant to be, which is this club that produces our own elite level talent and, and that's where the focus is. Um Hungry midfielder Dominic Sazbalai, a target for Arsenal, has completed his move from Red Bull Salzburg to RB Leipzig and will join in January to sign a four-year deal. It's a hell of a four-and-a-half-year deal. Hell of a signing for Leipzig. He's a, a wonderful young player. Arsenal appear to be on the verge of finally wrapping up the signing of Hertha Berlin centre-back Omar Rakik after the 18-year-old arrived in London on Thursday. Don't know anything about him. Not a thing. Is he Kareem Rakik's little brother? I assume he is. My assumption is he's Kareem Rakik's little brother because he looks like him. Similar hair, similar jawline. My guess is that's who he is. Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah, Netherlands born. Yeah, that's him. That's him. Um, Don't know anything about him. Hope he's good. They need defenders. Arsenal will, oh, sorry, Napoli will demand at least 14 million if they sell Arcadius Milik in January amid interest from Juventus and Everton. Isn't he out of contract in the summer? I think he is. I'm gambling on yes. He is. He's out of contract in the summer. You're not getting 14 million. You'd be looking to get four. He didn't have him played him all season. Um, Arsenal are monitoring the progress of 20 year old. Senegalese winger Abdullah Sima, who plays for Czech club Slavia Prague. Italian champions Juventus are also said to be interested in the player who has been dubbed the new Thierry Henry, which means he's kind of tall, kind of skinny, very quick, and likes to play that you know, inside left position, <laughs> cut in his right. I've never seen him play, no idea. No idea what he's like. If Arsenal and Juve are interested in him, you know, great. Juve don't really make many mistakes in the transfer market, so best of luck. Um, Carlo Ancelotti hopes he can see at the full length of his contract and deliver trophies and something special over the course of his stay, which will take him until the end of the the 23-24 season. I'd love to see Carlo win a cup with Everton. I really would. I, I, you know, I, I know it's great fun to sing. You know, you have since nineteen ninety five, you haven't won anything since nineteen ninety five with them, and laugh and everything else. But you know, I, I think it's good for the city of Liverpool when Everton are, are good as well. And those fans deserve something. They really do. No, no group of fans deserves to go that length of time without, uh, without winning something and, and seeing their team lift a trophy. Uh, imagine what it's like to be a Newcastle fan. I mean, just imagine. Just take a moment from your day. And imagine what it's like to suffer through the 60 years or whatever it is since day one. Um, Celtic Aaron Talks assigned Northern Ireland goalkeeper 
that Connor has it to a new long-term deal. Okay, fair enough. Um, Manchester United are in negotiations with Celta Vigo 16-year-old defender Stefan... I can't pronounce that surname. I'm not even going to bother. His name, first name Stefan uh, over moved to Old Trafford. I, I don't think they are, and I think the Brexit rules would rule out any such deal. So I think that's just something that somebody's made up. Um, Arsenal's German goalkeeper, Bernd Leno, has accused the club's squad of lacking discipline. You've heard that here first. Uh, and having no self-confidence. Well, you know, that does fall on the manager. Well, he says, he says Arteta's not to blame. I say he is because discipline and, and confidence need to come from the manager first and foremost. So it is what it is. Um, Wimble- AFC Wimbledon are considering the possibility of sharing their new home at Plough Lane with rugby league side London Broncos. Would be a clever move. Would make sense for them because they'd get, you know, some some income from, from the Broncos. Um, it's great to see. How how good is it to see them back at Plough Lane? I know it's not the same club that were there originally. It is the Phoenix Club, but it, it, it is the same. It's the same group of fans. It's the same spirit to the club. They've risen right from the bottom, right back up. And it's brilliant to see them back at Plough Lane after... What, what is it, like a 35-year gap? Wasn't it the mid-80s that they had to leave Plough Lane? Um, it's, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And yeah, I think that's a good move. Anderlecht manager and former Manchester City captain Vincent Company says on-loan City striker Lucas Namiche has no noticeable weaknesses as the German t- under-21 international continues to impress on loan in Belgium. Um, it's high praise. It absolutely is high praise. And um, he has done really well with Anderlecht this year. Nine goals in, in 14 games. So that is a, a, a really good return. You'd imagine he'll have no future at City because they just, they just don't promote young players unless their name is Phil Foden. Uh, Anderlecht are keen for discussions with Man City about extending his loan for the season. Yeah, it makes sense for everybody. Government Minister Guy Opperman has written to the Premier League to seek the answers that Newcastle supporters deserve over the club's proposed take after the club's proposed takeover fell through in the summer. Isn't it great? Isn't it great that Guy Opperman has nothing better to do in times of, of a pandemic with childhood hunger through the roof, with all manner of stuff going on, with the economy crashing down around his ears, with Brexit being a complete farce. And this man has nothing better to do than write to the Premier League to have a cry about a football club. I get that Newcastle fans are annoyed. I'd probably be annoyed myself as a Newcastle fan. But really? Really? This is what you're concerned about? At this moment in time? You've got to be joking. Like, you've got to be joking. Someone needs to have a chat with him. And let him know that while, yeah, some of his constituents and some of his fellow Toon fans may be a little bit concerned about Newcastle uh, takeover not going through, there are much bigger problems facing the UK right now. Much bigger. I would say the Newcastle takeover is probably about 4,074th on the list of things he should be concerning himself with right now. Uh, last thing I wanted to mention before I go is there is an article on it's by Joe Donahue. It is on leeds-live.co.uk. It's uh, just a little bit in the in the build-up to United versus Leeds. It's a little look back at um, at the last time Bielsa faced United when he was Atletico Bilbao manager and. Um, Completely outmanaged Alex Ferguson, outfoxed him, outthought him, and uh, it's a really, really good read by Joe Joe Donahue or Donahue. It might be Donahue. It would be Donahue if he was Irish. He is English, so I assume it's it's Donahue. Uh, D O N N O H U E. It's really, really good. Joe's a great follow, actually. Well worth well worth reading his stuff. Does a lot of stuff with scouted football as well, so uh, he's a good follower and well worth keeping an eye on. Uh, and that's it. That is the show for today. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, it's been a bit of a long one, a bit rambly, but um, I, I've had fun doing it. So um, 
yeah, that's it. Thanks as always for listening. Have a great weekend. Uh, I will be back on Monday as, as always. Thanks to Guy. Sorry we couldn't get Guy on this week, but you heard him earlier in the week. So yeah, that's enough of Guy for this week. Don't want him stealing too much by spotlight. I, I have to have some shine on me. Thanks as always to Fox Hunt for the uh, the title music. I, I actually I love that song. Check out their stuff on Spotify. Uh, check out the EPLindex.com. Check out a tad predictable this week. I'm on it. If you want to hear me getting predictions wrong, that's where I'm doing it this week. And uh, yeah, see you Monday. Bye bye. Podcast Network.